Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. Then reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're stuck now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith, and we are going to be joined today by a Phoenix Suns expert. One of my buddies, he has been a great help to me in my uh, NBA writing podcasting journey to, to date. I have been on his show, the Drive and Dish NBA podcast, uh, I would say it's fair to say several times now, and as well as he is part of the Almighty Baller Network, just like the NBA Front Office Show with the Solar Panel podcast, which is focused on the Phoenix Suns, who we're going to talk about today, and my guest is Tim Tompkins. Tim, how are you? Keith, I am well. I cannot. I it, I just feel like your own podcast has been far too long in the making, and I'm honestly stunned that it took this long uh, to get your voice out over the interwebs um, consistently. I, I feel like it was like NBA Twitter, NBA podcasts have needed you. Where have you been this whole time? <laughs> I've been, I've been on Twitter, man. I think probably too active for some people, especially during Celtics <laughs> games. I tend to hear that from general people. Like, stop tweeting so much about the Celtics. Would the uh, forget that I also cover them for Celtics blog? But I appreciate those words. It's really exciting. If you're new to the show, what the NBA front office show is is if you are a salary cap roster transactions nerd like I am, this. This is the show for you. What we're going to do over the course of these shows, all the episodes, is dive deep into the world of roster building, the CBA, the salary cap, and those kind of things to get everything going so you have a better idea of how teams are going to build up their rosters. And to do that, one of the things we're going to do first is we are going to run a off-season preview, and today's team is the Phoenix Suns. I mentioned Tim is an expert on the Suns, and we're going to dive deep. So we're going to talk about probably all the free agents, all the non-impartial guaranteed guys. There, If you're a general NBA fan, a couple of these guys, you may be like, who's that? Even if you're a Suns fan, you might be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. But we're going to get into all of them. We're going to cover them all. But we always like to say, too, in order to look forward, first we got to look back. So let's look back at the 2017 season, even though it might be a little bit painful for Suns fans. But 24-58 and 58 last year, last in the Western Conference. Offensively, an offensive rating of 106.6. That was 22nd in the NBA. The defense was really a mess all season. 112.2 defensive rating, 28th in the NBA. But they played fast, and they were entertaining, second in pace. I mentioned I cover the Celtics. I know the highlight of the year for the Suns was Devin Booker dropping a 70 spot on Boston in a game. And that was helped in 
some part by the pace of the way the Suns play. But, Tim, I'm going to kick it to you. How do you think the season went? Did it, did it go better than expected, worse than expected, or as expected? Well, I mean, I think that depends on who you ask. Uh, you know, you're, you're asking a Suns fan, and I think most Suns fans were blindly optimistic uh, about what this team could do. Um, you know, they, they made a couple of, of signings during the last offseason where they picked up Barbosa and they picked up Jared Dudley, um, both players that were Phoenix fans, uh, fan favorites, I guess I should say. And I think collectively the Suns community really thought, or at least the fan community really thought, you know, with this team of, of Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight wasn't a complete wash yet. Uh, coming off the bench in that six-man role along with uh, T.J. Warren and his scoring abilities off the bench with uh, Tyson Chandler manning the center spot, uh, Jared Dudley starting at the four, a couple of rookies that they were just bringing in that you know Phoenix uh, management was pretty high on, that the team could possibly, if everything went right, could end up being a little bit better than a 500 team. And as we saw, that wasn't exactly the case. Yeah, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about them today because their their positions on the team are solid, the two rookies. But I want to take this time right now to talk about them. So let's talk a little bit about Marquez Chris first. How, what, did, what did you feel like his rookie season? How did it go in terms of development? He ended up starting almost the whole season at Power Forward once he took over. What, what were your feelings on him now as you look back? Um, honestly, like I think Suns fans were – overall really pleased with Marquise Chris, uh, and especially his development. You know, he, he came into the league, and one of the things that everyone talked about was uh, his perpetuation with fouling, and I think he was averaging, like, uh, six personal fouls uh, per 36 or whatever, and, and that was something that really plagued him early on. And even though he was starting, to your point, for a majority of the reason, wasn't getting starter minutes. You know, he only averaged about 21 minutes a game, through the course of the season, but I think what we were able to see with Marquise Chris was, uh, uh, you know, that three-level scorer that you're looking for, where he can stretch the defense a bit, uh, he can shoot well from behind the arc, uh, 32% on the season, but his stroke looked really good, and, you know, for a power forward, that's not the worst uh, three-point percentage, I don't really think. Um, you know, rebounding, he, he, he's probably not the, as much of a rebounder as the Phoenix Suns and, and fans would really like him to be, average a little bit over four a game. Uh, but at the same point, I thought he was really good defensively, especially towards the end of the season. And he started to, as far as weak, di- weak side uh, rim defense, he really started to show a lot of potential there with a lot of shot blocking. Obviously, we all knew that he could get up above the rim and he could score there. But I think that, honestly, he was a bit of a surprise. And we haven't really talked about Dragon Bender yet and a really small sample size of Dragon Bender, so it's hard to get a read with him. And we'll talk about him in a few minutes, I'm sure. But I, I think that Suns fans in particular were surprised to see such a strong showing from uh, Marquise Chris. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting, too, when you talk about him. He, in about a month from now, so we're recording this in early June, June 9th, on July 2nd, he only turns 20. So he's only going to be 20 years old for the duration of the next NBA season. So that is something to keep in mind, too. He's one of the younger players in the league. But to go even younger, his fellow first-round draftee, Dragon Bender, you mentioned him before. So Bender missed a good chunk of time during the year with an ankle injury. did come back towards the end of the year after, I think, most of us thought he was going to be shelved and, and said, you know, kind of a way to just rehab and recover. But he did did come back and play. Played in ultimately 43 games. Only averaged 3.4 points per game. Only 13 minutes. Really 
took a long time to get adjusted to the NBA, and it seemed like just when he was starting to maybe figure it out, that's when he got hurt and ended up missing a lot of time. So that's that's really rough. But what's your read on Bender? It, Bender's the hardest player to get a read on. I, a lot of fans, whether you were on Suns Reddit or you were on the bright side of the Sun message boards, you have a, a certain amount of the fans are like, you know, Dragon Bender's a bust. And um, from what we saw from him, he obviously didn't look NBA ready. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, though. I think that he was one of the more raw prospects in the draft. A lot of this comes down to development, and Suns fans were extremely angry through the course of the season because they they, they weren't really happy with a lot of Earl Watson's rotations uh, when it come to when it came to development at Bender. I mean, he just wasn't seeing a lot of time on the court, um, and so he's, he's really hard to read, you know. But I, I think ultimately, with the way that the NBA is going that you have a lot of flexibility with Bender and, you know, hopefully he's going to have a better sophomore season and a better junior season and everything. But, um, you know, he has a lot of potential and we just didn't get to see very much of it because of his limited playing time. And uh, it might have done him so good, though, to sit on the bench and, uh, you know, sit out with that injury. And I think a lot of people should be thankful or at least, you know, Bender didn't have to come back. The Suns didn't have to bring mm-hmm. him back. He, he could have easily set out for the rest of the for the rest of the season and come back in, in summer league. But you know, he chose to play, and the Suns organization chose to have him play. And I think that that spoke a lot to his character as well as what the Suns um, ultimately want to do with him moving forward. You know, one of the things I'll say with Bender too is that he he's also extremely young. He doesn't even turn turn twenty until we're in the season. Uh, November 17th is his birth date, so we're going to be watching him as a 19-year-old to kick off really what's going to be close to the first month of his second NBA season, which is really kind of impressive at this point. So one thing with him for me was I thought he looked best, again, right before he got injured because he was playing some minutes at the five. He wasn't just stuck being a power forward, hanging out on the perimeter all the time, going against quicker guys and struggling. He, He was finally getting some minutes alongside Chris, up front. I think ultimately he is seven foot one. There's some rumors I've even heard that he might still be growing, which is a, you know something that's crazy to me now, right? We've both been NBA fans for a long time. He used to be a guy came in, he was whatever height he was, and that was it. Now these guys might add another inch or two, which is just unbelievable. But I think long term he might ultimately be one of those stretch five type guys that a lot of teams are kind of starting to look for. Stretch fours are are great, and everybody needs to have one now. And the next evolution looks like it's going to be a stretch five. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And the last guy I want to ask you about real quick before we start jumping into the real off season topics is Tyler Ulis. So Tyler Ulis became the starting point guard by the end of the season. Eric Bledsoe put on the shelf. Brandon Knight put on the shelf, fast to come back, didn't want to come back. Um, you know, that was an awkward situation a little bit there. Decided he didn't want to play. And Ulis ended up the starter for the last 15 games or so. Played pretty well in that role. I know he, um, let's see, 7.3 points per game, 3.7 assists, and really limited minutes until the end of the season. But showed a lot, at least that I think at this point the Suns feel like he could be their backup point guard. He's probably not a true starter level. Um, he just doesn't really have the size and for all that he is quick he's not super fast like a lot of really small guards are but I think he is proven now that he can be a backup point guard what's your read on Ulysses well can I piggyback off your dragon bender comment really quick yeah of course yeah 
So, uh, you know, and, and to your point, when you're talking about Dragon Bender playing the, the small ball five, if you will, is that at the beginning of the season, you know, according to basketball reference, that Dragon Bender played about 70% of his time at power forward, about 30% of his time at center. But there were there were definitely some lineups in which he was the small forward out there. And you could just tell that was a lot of the reason why he was lost. And I think that, that Suns management, as well as uh, Suns fans, really agree that Dragon Bender is – uh, likely going to be best as a center in the league. Um, maybe not a starting center, or maybe a smart starting center, depending on where you know the NBA seems to go. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that Dragan Bender is, is much better as a center than he is as a power forward. Uh, to talk about Tyler Eulis a bit, I mean, all the points you made right there are completely valid. You know, he didn't get a lot of time to start the year. I don't think a lot of Suns fans really knew a lot about his game. And then, uh, you know, once the Suns, quote-unquote, went into tank mode and began resting their starters and, and some of their better players. Tyler Eulis really got his opportunity. Uh, you know, he's good. I, I, I think a lot of people are like, hey, he's the next Isaiah Thomas. I, I, I don't think that that's, you know, plausible nor necessarily something that you really want because it's, it's pretty clear that you can't play Tyler Eulis and Devin Booker on the court together at the same time. But, I mean, to your point, Keith, the, to end the season, I think he was aver- averaging like 14 points, 7 assists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was definitely a, a negative on the court for a lot of that time, but, you know, of course, most of the Suns players were. And if you look at some of those most used um, lineups with, with Euless, I mean, they're all pretty much negative. But he's probably never going to be a starting center, but at the same time, having uh, a center, sorry, uh, a point guard, having a backup point guard um, that you can really develop and can run an offense is a good thing. That being said, he's a little bit ball dominant. Uh, he's definitely a scoring guard, which is something that they already have in a, in a Brandon Knight. Uh, I don't think he has a lot of great court vision. Um, I don't think he really looks for his teammates. He, he takes a lot of bad contested twos and that kind of thing, kind of dribbles out the shot clock. But there's a lot of potential with him. I think he played better than a lot of people thought he would, especially for uh, such a late second-round pick. Yeah, and, and a lot of people wrote him off because of his size. And you mentioned Isaiah Thomas. You know, he's he's... If he was anywhere ever near as good as Isaiah Thomas has turned out to be, that'd be tremendous. But at this point, it's you know, hey, if you if you can land a good backup point guard for a couple years at the league minimum in the second round, you've really done good work. And and I don't want to gloss over. We're going to get in the off season now, but before we do that, just because I don't want a bunch of people saying you didn't talk about Devin Booker. We both love Devin Booker. He's great. He's fantastic. One of the best young scoring guards in the league. But. There's not a lot to talk about because he's not going anywhere. He's staying right in Phoenix. So there's really no impact off-season-wise to talk about with Devin Booker. But I'll give you a minute here. Go ahead and express a little bit of love for Devin Booker. I, I mean, so, so there's a certain uh, ratio of Sun fans that just think Devin Booker is the next coming of Kobe Bryant. And, of course, you brought it up at the beginning of the podcast, Keith, where you are talking about that 70-point performance. And, uh, you know, I, I believe, and you could probably correct me if I'm wrong, you would know this, but I think he was the youngest player ever to score 70. Yeah, um, yeah, I think pretty by a good margin, too. And, you know, it, it was an impressive 70. We can all get into the semantics of, you know, the, the extra possessions that the Suns gave him to get it. But regardless, it was 70. Even with extra possessions, it was incredibly impressive. I, I mean, I even think that that last shot that he took, that the Celtics just said, screw it, and we're going to put Isaiah Thomas on you, score if you want to. We don't really care anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Booker's interesting because he's not he's not that lockdown shooter, that lockdown, you know, Clay Thompson esque shooter that I think a lot of people think he is. I mean, he's a little bit above league league average, thirty six percent, but he he gets a lot of his shots around the rim. 
he, you know, his floater game's pretty good. Uh, you know, he's, he's a really good cutter. Uh, he's good playing off the ball. He, uh, as far as his assist rate goes, too, like, don't forget that, you know, he's aver- he averaged about four assists a game, which is really good for a guard. He got a steal rate up, which is really impressive. Defensively, he's always going to be a bit of a liability. But he doesn't get lost on defense. He's just not he's not particularly good on defense. Um, you know, it, I think if he can become a, a better positional defender, that that'll really help him out. You kind of have to build a team specifically around him in order to make it work. But, uh, you know, it, Devin Booker's probably never going to be a 1A, but they have a really solid 1B. And right now the Suns are just absolutely desperate to get that star to build around Devin Booker. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get into kind of what, may have occurred at the draft lottery that kind of hurt that that quest for that second star. But but let's get into the offseason now. And what we're going to start out with, as we always do here on the NBA front office show, is the cap space. So the Suns can get to a max of $31 million in cap space. Now I'm going to couch that with that means everybody's got to go. So all of the free agents got to go, got to be renounced. You have to waive all of the non-guaranteed money that you can and get rid of it. And that would also mean not signing the draft pick. So that number is always on the very far extreme high end. It's not going to be what the number turns out to be. Now, interestingly enough, for a team that's in their position, I, you know, off of my projections, and I and I should plug this for a second, if you're looking to see and you want to follow along with, where's he coming up with these numbers? Where Where is all that coming from? Go ahead and go to my Twitter timeline, um, at KeithSmithNBA. Pinned right to the top of my timeline is a link to my NBA salary and roster sheets. It's got all kinds of information in there, including a tab called 2017 Projected uh, Space Worksheet that'll tell you how I got to the cap space projections. So that said, where I have them is I actually don't have them with any cap space at all. Reason behind that is... If you are, and this is what this is what the show's for, so we're going to get into it right now. We're a little deep into the salary cap, so hang in there with me, Tim, for just a minute. Um, we are going to talk about why I don't have them with that. And the big reason is when you go under the cap by an amount that if you add back the non-taxpayer exception, the biannual exception, brings you back over the cap, you get to keep those two exceptions. So what I have the Suns, if you look at the work, worksheet, I've got them with about $9.8 million in space. But those two exceptions added together are about $11.7 million. So that's going to take the Suns back over the cap by about $1.8 million. Now, you could say $9.8 million is really good, but the non-taxpayer exception this year is 8.4, and the biannual is three, almost 3.3. So that allows them to have a little bit more flexibility. The other thing is to get to that number of where they're at. I have them extending a qualifying offer and keeping restricted free agent match rights for Alex Len and as well for Alan Williams. I do have them moving on from Ronnie Price because I don't think – they can bring him back at the league minimum at any time if they want. We're going to talk about him in a minute. And I have him keeping all the non-guaranteed guys, as well as the draft pick. So that's how we get to that projected cap space. So we're going to talk each individual guy a little bit, Tim. So you kind of give me your thoughts on these free agents and tell me, yeah, I think you're on, on the money, or I think think you're wrong. I think they'll let him go. And let's start with the biggest free agent on the roster. That's Alex Len. So just mentioned he's a restricted free agent. If the Suns give him the qualifying offer, they would retain the ability to match any offer sheet he would get in free agency. His cap hold for the season is a little over $12 million, which that's one of the larger ones, just 
based off of where he was drafted in the draft when he joined the NBA, and that, that pushes that cap hold up to that number. But what do you think on Len? Do you think he's somebody the Suns are going to keep around? Well, let's two, two different questions. One, do you think that they extend the qualifying offer to keep his match rates? And two, do you think he's somebody that they're going to look to resign? I mean, you're more the, the cap expert than I am as far as extending that qualifying offer to keep him. I mean, I can tell you that the end result of what I think will happen with Len, and I, I, I don't think that they keep Len around. Um, it, Len's tough. You know, a, a lot of people aren't completely thrilled with the way that the Suns developed Len. Uh, you know, they, they picked him really high. Back in 2013-2014 uh, was his, his rookie season. Uh, I think he was the fourth or the fifth pick yeah, in, fifth. in that draft. Fifth. And, you know, then they, they subsequently they uh, signed Tyson Chandler and a move that probably wasn't the best move in the world, but they never really gave Lynn a chance. And even when Lynn was starting this, this last season, at the end of it when the Suns were tanking, you know, he's only playing about, what, 22, 23 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the biggest knocks on Len has definitely been his field goal percentage. Uh, he, he finally got that to effective field goal percentage of about 50% this, this last season, which uh, not a career high. But a, a lot of the problem with Len is that they were, tr- they were trotting out these twin tower lineups the season prior with where they were playing Len at the power forward and Tyson Chandler at the center. It was like the, the worst lineup imaginable. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's really hard to gauge how good of a player he is. Um, you know, but at the same time, the NBA is moving in a direction right now that I'm not sure how much of your salary you want to lock up in the center spot. And we haven't talked about Tyson Chandler yet, whether or not he stays on the roster. I'm sure we'll get into that. But he's locked up right now if they keep him for another two years. Um, you know, with fourteen, fifteen million, something like that. You would know. Yep. Uh, they they also have Alan Williams, who, you know, uh, say what you want about him, he's never going to be that defensive steward, but he's a great rebounder. Um, he, he doesn't play outside of his game. He shows a lot of potential. He, he plays with a lot of heart. And you know, if you, if you were essentially signing a backup center, I'm not sure how much of your salary, a percentage that you really want to put into that position. Um, uh, so, I mean, depending on what. Lynn Garner's out there in free agency, but I can't imagine them paying any more than like ten or twelve million dollars a year to keep Alex Lynn. Yeah, and that's exactly where I'm at with him. I think he is unfortunately he came along in life about five to ten years too late. Right, about a decade ago, he would have been a guy who would have been like, "Oh, this guy's great. You know, he's big. He can score inside, step out, and shoot the jump shot occasionally." You know, people would have loved him. The other thing that he he can't really defend because he fouled all the time. You know, I think his per 36 is like five-something fouls uh, per 36. It's, uh, yeah, 5.6 fouls. So essentially if he plays anything near starters minutes, he's not going to be on the floor very long. And that's and that becomes a challenge. And you mentioned there's already Tyson Chandler's there, and they seem committed that they're going to ride this out with Chandler and play him. Maybe they'll move him in a trade, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But I do think... They've got to be – I don't think they want to see Len just walk away. He was, he was the fifth pick in the draft. They do have a lot of time and effort invested into him. So I don't think they will just say, you know what, no qualifying offer, let you walk away. I think it might be one of those where we'll make you the qualifying offer. If you get a really great big offer sheet, then go, by all means. We're not going to, you know, no skin off our backs, and then we'll take the resulting cap space. Or the Suns can let that kind of play out, go deeper, and then say, hey, see, no one's coming, there's no money left, and then they can bring them back on a more team-friendly deal. 
So that's Alex Lund. But now I want to move into a guy I love, and you mentioned him briefly there a minute, Alan Williams. This guy is somebody, if you followed my Twitter timeline, you've seen anything I've written that involves this guy. He's one of my favorite guys in the entire league, and here's the reason why. So he doesn't play a lot, has not played a lot, but when he has played, he's been extremely productive. His per 36-minute rebound rate, 14.8. This guy is an elite rebounder. He's a pretty good shot blocker, rugged type defender inside. He's also a foul machine. He's not going to stay on the floor very very long if he falls. But on the right kind of team, if you could put him next to a more skillful big, especially one who could shoot it a little or pass, I think Alan Williams is a guy who could have a major impact in this league, and people would all of a sudden be like, wow, this guy's one of the best rebounders and you know more uh, solid defenders in the league. He is also the restricted free agent, and the Suns can offer him a qualifying offer, which is for the league minimum, which I don't think Williams will sign because he's probably going to make more than that no matter what. But the Suns would then be able to retain match rights. And I, my thought is any reasonable contract for him that doesn't start approaching, you know, Twelve million and plus per year, they're going to bring him back. So let me hear a little bit more on Alan Williams. Again, that's tough, and I think a, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but uh, Dragon Bender and, and where they see him in this entire equation where they can find minutes for him because don't forget that Dragon Bender was a top 10 pick last year as well along with Marquise Chris, so you gotta you got to start to develop these guys. And, um, you know, Alan Williams is great. So his mom is I, uh, the police chief, I think it is, of uh, Phoenix. Um, yep. so he, he's a huge hometown guy. He he loves the city. The city. You can follow him on social media, and he's doing a bunch of different uh, charity things and workouts and everything with the Suns. Um, something that we haven't seen from Alex Lynn, by the way, on social media. Whether or not he's actually doing it, who really knows? I don't follow the guy around with the camera. But one thing you do see from Alan Williams this off season is um, interacting with the team in different ways and, and and those charity events and the workouts and things like that. So it seems like he's a team guy that really wants to be there. So I'm not completely convinced that he he definitely won't sign a, a lower offer. I mean, everyone wants to go out and get paid, so there's definitely going to be an element to that. And if somebody throws him $15 million a year, he's definitely going to go take it. But I think if, if, the, if the offers are remotely comparable that he would like to stay, but it all comes down to the direction the Suns want to go. And I really, uh, Tyson Chandler is the issue here. And you, Keith, a few minutes ago said that you don't see Tyson Chandler leaving during the exit interviews. For the Suns, he was, you know, pretty adamant about the Suns need to sign some more veterans. Something that uh, Jared Dudley echoed when he came on the uh, Sun Solar Panel podcast. But uh, yeah, a lot of people read that into thinking that um, Tyson Chandler doesn't mind uh, getting traded, which the Suns did give him that option to be traded earlier in the year, and he opted to stay. But it sounds like Tyson Chandler might want to play out the, the twilight of his career, um, you know, on a cont- on a contending team somewhere, at least a, a team that's hopeful of making the playoffs. So it's it's tricky, you know. It's it's and, and you're a big roster management guy, so you know you can see it. You have a log jam here. You have the the old guy that you're paying 15 million a year to, uh, that you want to keep on the court. At the same time, you have two restricted free agents who have, but they both have a ton of potential. And Allen Williams, to your point, uh, an elite rebounder and provides a, a ton of potential for a team. But at best, he's probably a 20 minute a night guy. Um, and, and then you have Dragon Bender, who probably slots best at the at the five position, but you still need to find some minutes for probably at the power forward at different times. So it's it's tricky. They have too many too many bigs right now, which they aren't the only team to say that. But 
Uh, you know, I mean, it's, at least it's not a, a buck situation. Yeah, yeah, no, and there's, and here's the thing with Tyson Chandler. I think it's gone almost a little too far with him. Where I think a lot of people are like, oh, the contract's so bad. It's actually, it's actually a little it's bit not, better. It's not all that bad. No, and it's actually a little bit better than what what Dave, I know you said fifteen. It's actually only thirteen million for this upcoming season, and then thirteen point five the season after. So really reasonable. And Tyson Chandler still played well. Now he's not the shot blocker, rim protector he once was. He just doesn't move quite as well, but he still grabbed over 11 rebounds per game. He still can score inside when he gets given the ball. He's still a good defender inside. He's just not blocking shots left and right like he used to back in the day. And this kind of gets into, so so we'll deviate for a second here, but this is good because this is important. The Suns, in a lot of ways, feel like they're almost two different teams. They've got all these young guys with potential that we talked about. So Bender and Chris and Ulyss and Booker and... Um, even to some extent, Alan Williams. And then you've got these older guys like Chandler, and you mentioned Jared Dudley, a um, couple couple of their guards, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, who have been around for a while. I don't want to call them old, but they, they've been around for a while in the NBA. So it's kind of a, a confusing roster mix for a team that's there. And that I, I do think Chandler... I know, and I know what you're talking about when he said midseason. I don't want to go anywhere, and a lot of players don't want to be traded midseason. It's we forget this with trades with players because it's very easy for us as fans to say, "Yeah, trade them there." Yeah, but that means I gotta move my family, or I gotta say, "You stay here while I go somewhere else." I've gotta completely uproot my entire life and go away from a place where, in Chandler's case, a place where he picked to be in Phoenix. So that becomes really tricky and hard to handle. In the offseason, that's a lot easier done because you've got a lot more time to get somewhere else and get comfortable. So I think that might be why he was not as open to it then but might be a little bit more open to it now. And then, right. You're talking about the human element of basketball, uh-huh. which I think is something that uh, as an NBA analyst, if you want to call us that, that, that NBA analysts and, and fans especially really forget that there's a human side to all of this. Yeah, these guys are people. you know, And that's one of the things players tell me all the time is one of the things I like to ask players is, hey, what's something you'd like the fans to know? If it's in relation to trades or free agency and that is, hey, just remember I'm a person too. And just like you make the best decision for you in your career in life, I need to do the same thing for me too. And I think it's hard because you know we watch these guys on TV or in person and we see them as a little bit larger than life to remember, hey, they're a person with all the same concerns that we have about life too. So that's, they, you know, I'm, I'm glad we get a chance to talk about that here, you know, for a minute. So I do think... There is the potential that some of those veterans could be movable, but we're going to get back into that in in a couple minutes here. So I want to cover off on the last free agent on the roster. I think we can zip through this one in about 20 seconds. Ronnie Price, he was brought in as kind of a veteran guy. He's a guy Earl Watson knows. They, they had played together in Utah, I believe, um, towards the end of Watson's career. And, you know, he's just kind of a... At this point, he's a third, fourth point guard, locker room practice type of guy. He's a league minimum guy, so I do think the Suns will say, you know, hey, we're going to move on from him. Or if they really don't need any cap space, they'll just say, we'll just keep your cap hold, and maybe they can address bringing him back. Any any thoughts beyond that on Ronnie Price? Yeah, he's he's, an, he's being groomed to be an assistant coach. Yeah. Um, you know, that's all there is to it. I think if he actually is on the roster next year, that he's not going to play. Um, it, it, you know, at least during actual NBA games. But no, that guy's going to be an assistant coach for the Phoenix Suns sooner than later. 
Yeah, and he's uh, one of those guys who is very well-liked and well-respected. Not not all that different from Earl Watson over the course of his career. So I, I think you're right. So so now I want to get into the the three partial and slash non-guaranteed players on the roster. So we'll start out with the biggest name, Leandro Barbosa, returned back to the Suns after bouncing around the league from his first time there. I know he played for the Celtics and the Warriors and had played you know for a handful of different places, came back to the Suns. For this season, he is 500000 guaranteed, so he is um, going to get that money regardless, no matter what. His overall contract is $4 million, so a difference of about $3.5 million that could be picked up in space if they were to waive him. He does become fully guaranteed on July 3rd. Now, what's interesting about that is it's just late enough that if the Suns are in on a big free agent on July 1st, they'll know... We need that extra cap space and that money, so we're going to go ahead and waive Barbosa. But my thought is I don't think they're going to be in on any big free agents. It just doesn't seem to match the timeline with where they're at right now. So my thought is because they love him there, they love him as a veteran guy, a scorer off the bench, I do think he will be brought back allowed his contract to be fully guaranteed. And if things really don't work out, the Suns can always look to move him in a trade or eat the rest of the money and wave them at that point because, again, they may not need that cap space. What are your thoughts on Barbosa? Oh, my. Uh, so this, as you spoke to earlier, Keith, this, the Suns roster is so oddly constructed, and, and there's so many different nuances um, in and around it. And so as, as far as Barbosa goes and how he was being used specifically this last season is he was spending a lot of his minutes out there with, uh, with Tyler Eulis. Mm-hmm. And that that seemed to be where they thought he worked out best with. Um, at the same time, somebody that we haven't talked about yet is a is a Brandon Knight, and uh, you know there's there's a chance that a Tyler Eulis with a Brandon Knight out there, uh, you know, could work because you have two guys that kind of move the ball a little bit. They aren't known as necessarily uh, distributors first or a bit more score first, but if you have uh, both those combo guards out there on the floor, does that make a bit of sense? Uh, you know, at the at, at the same time. You have Ryan McDonough, who uh, a lot of people seem to think that he's on the hot seat this year. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but you know we haven't talked about free agency yet, and we haven't talked about the different kind of moves that they're going to make and uh, or not make to that point. But you have to wonder whether or not Ryan McDonough, uh, the GM of the Suns, really believes that he is on the hot seat. And if he is on the hot seat, is Barbosa the kind of player that you want to make sure that you keep around, and you know do you keep riding those those older players for those minutes, like you did at the start of last season? Do you go out and do you make that big um, acquisition? You know, uh, another thing that I think could depend on whether or not the Suns keep Barbosa around is where they go in the draft, which we're going to get to later. But if the Suns go with a point guard, how many, you know, how much room do you have out there for combo guards and and, and point guards and that kind of thing? Like if they take Malik Monk, for example, um, you know, I think there's little to zero chance you want Barbosa on the roster with Malik monk at the same time unless he's there specifically uh you know for team practices because at a certain point there's an opportunity cost to having a a gluttony of players that all play the same position so uh, to give you a really long answer uh it it really depends on all those little nuances to to everything but you know at the end of the day if you aren't competing i don't think barbosa hurts having on on your roster for some of those young players yeah i I think and that's I think where it comes in is he 
you know, again, fan favorite, well-liked by the organization. He likes being in Phoenix. I think you could do a lot worse than guys like him and Jared Dudley. Um, in full disclosure, I am a massive Jared Dudley fan. I listened to you guys' show, and I was like, this guy, is, this is why he's great. You know, and he's going to kill it in the media when oh, he, oh, oh, he hangs it up. That, I think that was one question we talked about. The episode after maybe it was a, the episode when he was on, but, you know, Jared Dudley, he is right now, he's positioning himself as an NBA analyst. He is all over TV. Absolutely. So, and if by any chance you talk to him again, tell him, you know, we're both Boston College alums, and I love the guy. He's, you know, somebody I just, I think he's fantastic. You know, but as far as veteran leadership, those two guys, they've been there and done it, and they can also help young players with, they both had to overcome some stuff early in their own careers. Dudley had to remake his body, and I, I won't want to don't want to get too deep into it, but he openly says how much he owes to Steve Nash for helping him, you know, really learn how to be a pro and take care of himself and remake his body. Barbosa came in as kind of a selfish gunner with his, you know, reputation and teams were a little scared off from him and both of those guys really stepped up. So you could do a lot worse than having those guys as veterans and it's not like either one of them's on a horrible contract where it's, you know, oh, they're just a locker room veteran guy who can help occasionally for $20 million a year. Year. They're, you know, Barbosa just said only four million, and then Dudley's at ten million. Both, you know, good value contracts. So it'll be interesting. But now I want to get into another guy who I think most fans probably only became introduced to this guy at the dunk contest, and that's Derek <laughs> Jones Jr. Right? I know when it was announced, there was a lot of who? Who is this guy? You know, D League guys are allowed to be in the dunk contest, not even right, knowing right. he was on the Suns roster. Mm-hmm. And you know, he didn't play a lot for the Suns. He only played. In let's see, I'm pulling it up. Only played in 32 games, eight starts, all towards the end of the year. But he did show a little bit of that inside scoring ability. He's he's extremely skinny. You know, if anybody is in the Phoenix area, buy this guy a sandwich, would you? Because he, need, he needs to pack on some weight. Hey now, hey now, Keith. <laughs> we have met. I'm a thin guy myself. There's nothing wrong uh, with having a runner's body. There, there's nothing wrong with having a runner's body, but if you need to get in there and bang inside, you might want to pack on a little bit, a little bit more weight there. But yeah. you know, but Derek Jones Jr. This guy can jump out of the gym, right? And we saw that at the dunk contest. If you saw any of his NBA D League highlights, where he played quite well down in the D League, average, it was about 14 points per game down there. He's really your typical energy kind of guy who just get up and down the floor and run and jump and make plays and getting passing lanes and those kind of things. He's he's working on that jump shot, trying to get that improved. Did not take a ton of threes down in the D-League, only 47 of them, but did knock down 12. So more work to be done uh, yet to see there. But he is on a fully non-guaranteed contract. Does not guarantee to the league-wide guarantee date of January 10th. So the Suns can carry that, waive him at no cost right up until the start of the season. My thought with him is, and this is, you're going to hear me repeat this throughout all these off-season previews, listen to all of them. Those types of contracts basically say, they're a training camp guy, 100%, no questions about it. But talk to us a little bit about Derek Jones Jr. and what you think his future might be with the Suns. It's an interesting one. So Derek Jones Jr., I think you're right. Keith. A lot of people didn't really know who he was, uh, you know, until until that dunk contest. I think a lot of Suns fans didn't really know who he was until that dunk contest either. And then subsequently after that, I started getting some minutes, you know, once the Suns were again openly tanking. Uh, if you look at some of the, the top three-man lineups, 
that the Suns had. Uh, the, he, Derek, Derek Jones Jr. was in two of those top five lineups where they were a positive 56 on the court in 164 minutes, and then uh, he was there with the uh, uh, number five for the top three uh, most effective lineups they had where they were a positive 43 in 64 minutes. Small sample size, I know. Uh, but Derek, I'm sorry, I'm to interrupt real quick. Mm-hmm. This is why we have the team experts on because no one else would have known that. So thank you for bringing that uh, to the show. This is why we want the team experts on the show. But go ahead, continue. Really, really unnecessary information, <laughs> you know, when it when it comes down to it. He he has a lot of value. I, the, my favorite part about Derek Jones Jr. is you never had any idea who he was going to guard, and it becomes so cliche in the NBA, and one of the most tired terms I'm sure you're tired of hearing it too is they can guard one through five. Look. No, they can't. They can probably guard one through four, and that's if if we're being liberal with the term guarding. But uh, Derek Jones Jr., like, you literally don't know who he is going to guard. He can guard one through four effectively, and that has a ton of value for a team. Mm-hmm. His offensive game leaves a lot to be desired, and you know we didn't see a lot of progress with him with that throughout the course of the season. But you know, then again, he really only started playing at the begin or at the end of the season, I should say. So there wasn't a lot of time for progress on it. I think they t- bring him back. Um, they definitely gave him a run at the end of the season to see if he was worth it. But I think you know one of the things that the Suns really need to improve upon is the defense, and if nothing else, Derek Jones Jr. brings that. Yeah, absolutely, and, and the thing I like with him too is he's a, you kind of mentioned it. He's a very willing defender. You know, he's going to go out there, and whoever Earl Watson says go cover, he's going to go do it. You know, Any of gonna, them? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to get up into guys too, which is is always good to see because enough defenders they they even some of the better defenders they they don't get physical with guys, and he's going to do that and make guys uncomfortable. So keep an eye on him if if there is. An injury that opens up some time in the front court at the small forward or power forward position. I do think he has the opportunity to get more time and play and really start to show what he is. So we're going to cover the last guy now. And this guy, if you didn't know Derek Jones Jr., you probably don't know this guy either. So Elijah Millsap brought in extremely late in the season, only played in two games with the Suns at the very tail end of the year. He is also on a fully non-guaranteed contract, which becomes fully guaranteed on the league-wide cut-down date of January 10th, once again. And Millsap is, he's actually got three years in the NBA already. He played a couple years for the Utah Jazz in their system before then coming uh, to the Suns this year after spending the entire season with the Suns D-League affiliate, the Northern Arizona Suns. And probably, unfortunately, maybe for him, his claim to fame at this point is that he's Paul Millsap's brother. And just to debunk this, because I've had a lot of people ask, would, did the Suns sign him in the hopes of then they could go sign his brother as a free agent? Well, I'm sure they might be somewhat interested. We'd spend an no. awful lot of time already talking about all these power forwards on the roster. It's not going to happen. That's not a consideration. And Paul Millsap, not to be insulting to the Suns and their fans, he wants to win. He's not going somewhere where if everything breaks right, they're a playoff team. He's going to go to somebody who, who can use him and is certainly going to be in the in the postseason. So Elijah Millsap, though, again, it's one of those contracts where 
There's no reason not to bring him into training camp. Might even play summer league with the team. We'll have to see. He's a little old, on the older side to yeah, be a like summer 30, league guy. 30. Isn't he 32? He, I feel he, like he's old. Yeah, he's 29. He turns 30 in August. <laughs> so okay. he'll be uh, 30 before the season. He got, got a little bit of a later start to his career, uh, despite only having three years in. But he, he, for me, you know, we don't need to spend a lot of time on him. I think he's a guy who comes to training camp, and then he's probably cut at some point towards the end of the year when it's time to get down to the roster size. But any thoughts on Millsap and his whopping two-game uh, sample size with the Suns? I thought he was fine. It, it's hard to tell in situations like that. And I also don't think you should necessarily evaluate uh, a player completely based off of two games that they played with the team after virtually no practices. So, yeah. you know, you got to put that caveat out there. But, you know, he, do, he doesn't fit the timeline. Um, I can't imagine he comes back. I mean, you know, don't forget that the Suns have three draft picks in this upcoming draft, whether or not all three end up making the roster. But uh, I, 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 I don't see a reason why he would return. Yeah, I, I again, I like I said, I think training camp, and then see you. Thanks for that. We'll put you back in Northern Arizona, and you'll be there if we need you down the line. So, so now I want to get into to what to me is a really interesting topic, and this is a guy. I know you and I have had specific conversations about this guy and his his ability to play, and that's T.J. Warren. So, T.J. Warren is a player who just can't stay healthy. Things just keep happening. You know, he gets, he's, you know, whether it's foot injuries and then he had, well, it was a, a concussion, right? No, they never, they never said they never what really, it was. That's right. They never and, did and, say. And I, yeah. not me personally, because I don't live in Arizona, but some of the guys that I do the solar panel with, Dave King, the managing editor over at Bright Side of the Sun, as well as Greg Esposito, the uh, former uh, post-game analysis guy for the Phoenix Suns, they both asked him outright, uh, what was up with that head injury and he won't say the Suns organization isn't saying what it is so it's just this mysterious head injury nobody knows anything about yeah that's that's true I forgot that's what it was so yeah something happened and like you said no one's talking but anyway (laughs) so but here's the question right so he is he's under contract for this year but this is his last year he's now extension eligible so do the Suns and TJ Warren reach an extension? And if so, what what kind of money are we looking at? Uh, absolutely not. And this is this is again where I think it's it's so interesting because you have all these different moving parts with the Suns, and this one it kind of correlates to the draft a little bit, which I'm sure we're going to get into. And you know, the next. Suns with the Suns with that number four pick, but it's it's a real shame that the Suns don't have one more full year of TJ Warren to evaluate before they make this draft pick because there's a really good chance you're going to have some small forwards available, uh, some of which are comparable to T.J. Warren, um, some of which that, you know bring a completely different skill set uh, you know, in, in, in how that works. But uh, I thought it was interesting. So T.J. Warren is one of my, my favorite players. I'm gonna, I want to make sure that I get the stats right on this. But when it, when it comes to the Suns, so he's a guy that can, can score with the rest of them, and he scores in really unconventional ways. His floater is amazing. His mid-range game is amazing too, which is something not a lot of people value. But I think if you have a player that, that can hit the mid-range shot, they are extremely valuable. And he's also one of the few cutters on the team, which the team needs more cutters. Uh, he's a great second scoring option, uh, you know, which the Suns really need. But as far as, so at the beginning of the season, you had P.J. Tucker who was starting in that role right there uh, at the small forward spot. And then they took P.J. Tucker out and they put in uh, T.J. Warren. And here you go, I have it. I tweeted about it earlier. So in that five-man lineup, so Bledsoe, Booker, Chandler, Chris, and Warren, they were a negative 30 over 662 minutes. 
uh, in the five-man lineup of Bledsoe, Chandler, Marquise Chris, and P.J. Tucker, so essentially just swapping out Warren for Tucker, uh, they were a negative 35. Um, they're, they grabbed more off, offensive boards with T.J. Warren, who, by the way, really improved his rebounding at the end of the year. He was averaging seven or eight different rebound, or, uh, rebounds a game. I'm not talking about rebound rate. I'm talking about actual number of rebounds. Having analyzed the rebound rate, uh, you know, they're a better assisting team with TJ Warren on the floor. They're a better steal team. Uh, you know, all the counting stats show that there wasn't, uh, you know, if anything, they were marginally better with a TJ Warren than uh, a PJ Tucker. At the same time, some of the worst three man lineups they had uh, definitely were uh, uh, TJ Warren was uh, involved in that. Uh, uh, hold, hold on, don't go anywhere. Three, two, one. So, for example, their most used, uh, not their most used, uh, their fourth most used, uh, no, uh, three, two, one. Their most used three-man lineup was uh, Bledsoe, Booker, and Warren, and they were negative 45. Um, and, and so it's hard, to, it's hard to justify. It's hard to evaluate. But, you know, he's a, he's a guy that at the beginning of the season was averaging almost 20 points a game. To your point, Keith, he had that mysterious head injury. Uh, he, he, finally, he finally got back to his rhythm, and at the end of the season, he was averaging about 17 points a game. It looked really effective. Yeah, you know, and for people, I know some folks who aren't Suns fans that might be listening to this may not have tuned in. And when, when I'm asked to describe T.J. Warren's game, one of the things that I always say is picture Tobias Harris without the three-point shot. And that's really a lot of what Warren does. He does a lot of the same type of scoring from that mid-range. He's got a fairly decent pull-up jump shot off the dribble. He can get inside and get to the basket some. And he is he, – he just – without if he doesn't develop that three-point shot, I'm not sure where he fits in the modern NBA. And that's going to be tricky because everybody wants to be able to play these 5 out lineups – and if he can't do that, because he's not going to be a real facilitator from the top of the key or anything like that with the ball in his hands. So my projection for him is that they there's no extension given. They're going to play it out. If if he busts out and has a great year, great. Then they, they have restricted free agent match rates on him in the, the next offseason in the summer of 2018, and they can bring him back fairly easily. So I think that's how they're going to let this play out. They'll let him get to free agency, and then they'll deal with it next summer. And at that point, too, where we're going next is the NBA draft. And the Suns have the fourth pick in the draft. And this could be big for Warren because there's a lot of people who think the Suns are going to go with someone who's really his replacement as a small forward of the future, whether that be a Josh Jackson or a Jason Tatum. I've even heard Jonathan Isaac's name mentioned a little bit there. So it'll be interesting to see where that plays out. But... A lot of people might be saying, hey, you said they finished last in the in the conference. Why do they have the fourth pick? Well, Phoenix got extremely unlucky in the draft lottery. They had the second best odds, and the Lakers jumped them. And then they got jumped by the Sacramento Kings, who, because of that convoluted pick swap with Philadelphia previously, they ended up having to give that pick to Philly and swapped picks, and the Suns ended up falling all the way back to fourth. So... That's, and that's a tough break because a lot of people still believe to this point that it's Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, and then kind of everybody else. But regardless, they're at fourth. They're going to get a really good player still. This is a very good deep draft. So, Tim, I'm going to ask you now, who do you think the Suns are looking at and who would you take if you were in the general manager seat? 
Well, can I agree agree with you about T.J. Warren first? Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, I I think you were spot on, Keith. I think that this this coming season that they uh, completely, you know, the balls to the wall, give T.J. Warren the minutes and and see what you got there. Um, Now that we're looking at the draft, and, and this is where I think it gets really interesting. So this is something that... You know, I threw out on Twitter that I've thrown out on the Drive Edition. I kind of want to get your take on it. So all season long, there's just been this narrative that I feel like has been a media-driven narrative that the Los Angeles Lakers are going to take Lonzo Ball. They're going to take Lonzo Ball. And I kept asking, why does everyone think they're going to take Lonzo Ball? You know, and a lot of people say, yeah, he might be the best player available, yada, yada, yada. But has there been any indication from the Lakers that they're actually going to take Lonzo Ball? Because I think that that has implications, I should say, for the rest of the draft. Yeah, and so it's interesting because this came up with Markel Fultz today. We're recording this on June 9th, and today there was a report that Fultz was going to go work out for the Kings, and everybody got all worked up. Oh, why is he working out for the Kings? He's going to be the number one pick. He's only going to work out for the Celtics. Ball even said he was open to doing some meetings, and they're not necessarily workouts, but meetings with other teams and people. Again, why is he even going to do that? I thought he was going to be the second pick. One thing is when you hear those kind of things, that's teams doing due diligence, and that's the player doing you know, their own due diligence. Because if you fall, you want to be you know, in position where you've already met these guys. With the, From the team side, um, one thing, and, and I promise I will answer your question. I just got to get this point in. Is from the team side, is you, this is your last chance, other than the guy you pick, to talk to these guys directly for the next four to five years. So you want to be able to get as much information, build your portfolio on that player. So if there's an opportunity to acquire them in trade or as a free agent down the line, you've already got some information about who they are, what kind of guy they are, and those kind of things. So that's why teams do this. That's why the Celtics having the number one pick, people are like, they should just work out Markel Fultz and not do anything else. No, they're going to meet with all the rest of these guys because you don't know what their situation might be in another year or two. So now as to Lonzo Ball. I put me firmly in the camp that I think it's all a bunch of smokescreen, garbage, call it what you will. I think he is going to the Lakers. I think they need a point guard, a traditional point guard, and that's what he is. He fits too well. He's from the area. He's a Southern California kid. I do think that's where he goes. Now, if he doesn't go there, well, then the whole draft's going to be thrown into chaos, which, you know, as a fan of the NBA and someone who covers it, that's absolutely what I want to happen because I just want to see. Let's get a little crazy on draft night. But that is what I think will happen is I do think it will be Lonzo Ball, too, there. Now, I've been asked by some Suns fans, what if they'd stuck it, too? I do think they would have drafted Lonzo Ball. I think they would have picked him, been happy. I think they would have then moved at a minimum Eric Bledsoe in a trade, and they may do that anyway. Um, but I think and they would have just built with a backcourt of Booker and Ball and gone forward and said that's what we're going to have go, going from there. So so uh, there was a very, very long answer to a very easy question you asked me of, yes, I do think Lonzo Ball goes to the Lakers. Right, but are there actually reports out that the Lakers are, are – sold on him. Yeah, there isn't. So promises being made publicly at the top of the draft are kind of a thing of the past. Um, The Lakers continue to say, much like the Celtics do, is we're evaluating all of our options. We're going to look at everybody. But, I mean, what else are they really going to say? Of course, they're they're going to – that's where they're going to come from. Every single front office executive I have talked to in the NBA still believes Lonzo Ball is going to be the pick for the Lakers. And this is just – 
one due diligence and two it's a you know hey maybe we're going to take your guy if you're you know if you're Philadelphia and you fell in love with a you know Josh Jackson maybe we're going to take him you know and if you want him you better trade up to get him or something along those lines mm-hmm. and you know that that's always done too is you know hey if you can still get the guy you want and drum up a little bit of interest you might as well do it because it can be a chance we, we saw that work quite well for Philadelphia uh, with the Orlando Magic with the Alfred Payton pick it so, sure did didn't it <laughs> yeah it did yeah Orlando fans are still bitter about that one <laughs> um, so I will say, though, I do think I, the Lakers have not come out publicly and said we're taking him or even anything leaning that direction. But everything you hear privately around the NBA suggests that is the way it'll go. Hey, well, that's a good enough answer for me, Keith. I trust you. So then it becomes really interesting. So you're looking at the Philadelphia 76ers who have that, that third pick and – We've seen in the past that Philly doesn't care uh, whether or not they uh, have a logjam in that position. They're always going to take, quote-unquote, the best player available. I think we've seen in years past it's not always you know, what ends up being true, You know, uh, speaking of Jaw, for example. So there's, you know, Josh Jackson, I think, is widely thought of probably as the best player available. Um, you know, they have a logjam with forwards. They need a point guard. There's a lot of great point guards in the draft, so... Uh, to give you a really long answer, I think that who the Suns pick really depend on really depends on who the Lakers or uh, to a larger extent who the Sixers take. I think if Josh Jackson is on the floor, that the Suns are going to pick him. I think that if Lonzo Ball is on the floor, the Suns are obviously going to go with Lonzo Ball, and then that has further implications for Eric Bledsoe. They obviously can't move Brandon Knight because nobody wants a, a piece of trash at fifteen million dollars a year. <laughs> And I really like Brandon Knight. I, I hope that the Suns can develop him and turn him around and, and, and try and salvage his career to an extent. And then you have a lot of really interesting options. Uh, a lot of people have, have talked about Jonathan Isaac as being a really interesting option. Um, and, and you kind of spoke to that earlier. Uh, Tatum's an interesting option. Tatum kind of does the same thing that T.J. Warren does to an extent. You know, he's a score-first guy. Jonathan Isaac really brings in that defensive versatility that the Suns really need. But at the same time, you also have Marquise Chris and you have Dragon Bender. Um, Jonathan Isaac, though, I think is a really intriguing option because he, he allows that defense to, to switch on a lot of things. If you're rolling out a, uh, a defensive lineup with Dragon Bender and, and Jonathan Isaac and Marquise Chris, that you have a lot of different options that you can do. And talking about the point guards, Darren Fox, personally, he's my favorite point guard in the, in the draft that uh, you know, is, is, is really out of the, the point guards that are probably going to be available at that spot. I think he's a really interesting option. Uh, he needs to gain some weight. Uh, he's not the best shooter in the draft, and the Suns definitely need shooting as well. They have a bunch of different uh, areas that they need to focus on. Um, Smith is probably the most NBA-ready point guard that there is. Um, you know, do they want to keep Eric Bledsoe on the roster and have him work out the remainder of his, of his contract? If if that's the case, Neil Aquina, uh, the, you know, the, the French point guard, he's an option. He's really raw. But at the end of uh, Eric Bledsoe's contract, you could kind of slide him in. And, you know, he's got that huge wingspan to him where he kind of looks almost like a Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, out there running the point. So there's so many different options. And then a lot of people are talking about, did the Suns trade back with the Kings to get the, the fifth and the tenth pick? That's an interesting option as well, where you could grab a, a, an Isaac and possibly a Neil Aquina as well. Um, you know, but then at the same point, you have too many young players on your roster, and there comes a point in which you just have too many young players on your roster. Yeah, and that and that becomes the challenge. Is I 
you know, I do think that they'll stick where they are. I've been telling everybody, as any time we have these conversations, is I think unless Philly pulls a real surprise, the Suns is where this draft gets really crazy because they can go just as you went through. I mean, you just rattled off about six, seven names. Sorry and about that. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> no, absolutely no, and that's perfect because that's exactly what they're facing. They could go in any number of directions, and you can't really stay with any of them. Oh, man, that's terrible. That's not the way they should go. So that's, to me, where it gets really interesting. So we talked a little bit about Eric Bledsoe and the potential that they might trade him. So this is normally the part of the show where we're we're getting into who might be some free agent targets for the team and those type of things. I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're both thinking the Suns probably aren't a real big free agent player this summer. Is that fair? No, I mean, you know, who do they who do they want to go out and get? Do they want to go put down an offer sheet on a, a Joe Ingles? I've heard uh, Andre Robertson floated around, but I can't imagine they go out and spend big. I mean, to your point earlier, they don't really have the money anyway. Yeah, so, so I'm going to flip it then. So let's talk about some of the guys who are on the roster. So... Give me thoughts. I'm just going to throw. I'm going to throw these names out. We we already talked about Tyson Chandler, so I'm going to throw the rest of the names out. Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, Jared Dudley. Are they going to be Phoenix Suns on opening night? Depends on the draft. <laughs> it depends on the draft. I think uh, Jared Dudley absolutely. I think I think Jared Dudley is going to play out his contract with the Suns. I think that there is a lot of value and. Uh, veteran leadership. I know it's a tired term, but you know there there is definitely value. It's a Suns fans love him. I think management loves him, um, and I, I do think that he provides a lot for the team. So I think he's he's there to stay. Uh, Brandon Knight. I mean, I don't know who you trade Brandon Knight for without you know you could possibly try and get a Joakim Noah back, but you don't want that. Uh, you could possibly trade him for a Chandler Parsons, but you don't want that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what team's really going to take a, a Brandon Knight at this point in his career. So that's where, uh, you know, the, the drafting of a point guard, you, you have to develop him somehow. Eric Bledsoe, by far the Suns' best player. And, you know, don't get it twisted. It's not Devin Booker. It is hands down Eric Bledsoe. At the same time, he just doesn't fit that, that timeline. So you're looking at a... You know, I think he's 28, 29 right now. He's under contract for the uh, next two seasons, I believe. Um, do you trade him for, you know, to to Dallas for what did Dallas Dallas have like the number eight, number nine pick? Yeah, number nine. Number nine. I think that's a possibility, but a, a lot of that I think depends on where you go in the draft. If 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 Alonzo Ball falls, if you ended up dra- drafting a Smith, who's you know pretty much NBA ready. Um, I, I do think that you want to move on from an Eric Bledsoe, but if you get somebody like Neil Aquino or you don't get a point guard at all, uh, you know that's that. I, I think you want to keep them. And I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination on the draft, but from what I've heard, the next two classes are really guard and point guard light. So if you think that this is your opportunity for a point guard, maybe this is the year that they pull the trigger on that. Yeah, the the point guards in the 2018 class, there's definitely some, but it's a little bit heavier at the very top of the draft in in forwards and big men. Um, and then the, the class after that, it's I, I always caution you're once you get more than two years out, you're starting to you don't know it's a little too hard to you know guys who are high school sophomores and juniors. I mean, yeah, LeBron James, we all knew that guy was going to be great, but the rest, eh, let, let's let's let him at least get a couple more games in. So here here's kind of my thoughts. So I'm with you on Dudley. I think he's going to be there. I do think. There is a potential around the trade deadline. They may do exactly what they did with Tyson Chandler of, 
hey, do you want to do you want to stick this out? Do you want to be here, or what do you think? Do you want to go somewhere where you can be on a contender? And I think there'd be a number of contenders who would be happy to take Jared Dudley if they could get him because he can help in a lot of ways. But I think you know, again, he chose to come back to Phoenix. That's where he wants to be, and you know, they're happy to have him. Brandon Knight, it's I'm with you. I, I hope they can can get him back to a point where he can be functional because I think Brandon Knight is one of those guys who, if he's got his head on right and he's playing well, he's a good combo guard off the bench for a team. And if they're going to draft a young point guard, he can be a nice bridge guy. You know, while that guy gets ready, Knight could start, you know, at the point for, you know, half a season. And then when that guy comes in and he's ready to take over the starting role, give it to him there and go. And if they do draft a point guard, I can't imagine there's any reason beyond – Extreme low ball offers why Eric Bledsoe would be back. Well, here's one of the things that's funny with Eric Bledsoe. People say, well, he's hurt all the time. He's hurt a lot, but he's actually hurt every other season. <laughs> which right, and they're, di- they're different. They're different knees, too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's with him, if it's a here, here's, here's really the pattern. And a lot of people might look, well, he only played 66 games this past year, but he was fine. He could have played more. They just chose not to play him down the stretch. But. 81 games as a rookie in 2011, then 40, 76, 43, 81, 31, 66, could have been probably in the high 70s. So you're heading into an even number year. I'd be careful. History tells us trend. I'm a math guy. tells me (laughs) it's time for him to get hurt again. But... You know, with Eric Bledsoe, it's he really now at this point, it's his contract's not bad. It's fourteen point five million in twenty seventeen eighteen, and then in eighteen nineteen fifteen million, and then you've got him. But you're absolutely right. He turns, let's see, turns twenty eight on July 9th, so he's starting to get get a little older. So he's going to be thirty at the time of when his next contract's rolling in. So it's a, that's a tricky spot to be in. So I do think. There's a, if anybody's going, I think he's the guy who is going to go. He'll be the one who moves on uh, from there. So at this point, Tim, unless you got anything you really want to get out on the Suns, we are running short on time here. Um, you know, So is there anything else you really want to get out there on the Suns? Yeah, last thing is that we had Eric Bledsoe on the, uh, the Suns solar panel, I think it was about a month ago, and um, when Espo was talking to him, he – talked about being benched, and he said that he hated it. But one of the reasons that he didn't say anything is he didn't want other teams around the league to think that he wasn't a team player. Uh, and, and so I thought that that was really telling yeah. uh, about what he thought his future with the Suns are. And so I'll, I'll kind of end on that. Yeah, and, you know, I'll just tag on to that real quick. When a guy's angry that he's not playing, whether it's a veteran or a young guy, teams like that because teams want guys who want to play. They don't want mm-hmm. guys who say, I can just take my $14 million and hang out. You know, no, <laughs> it's not okay. We've had too many of those guys in the NBA. Teams want guys to be on the floor. So at this point, what I want to do, Tim, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find the shows that you're on on Twitter. Sure. Well, you can find me at Radio Tim NBA. You can anywhere that you download podcasts. You can search for the Drive Edition NBA podcast. If you're Suns fans, uh, you can find us on uh, the Sun Solar Panel anywhere you download podcasts as well. But all of our episodes also go on Bright Side of the Sun, uh, the SB Nation uh, fan site, uh, brightsideofthesun.com. Every time we post an episode, it's there. It's right at the top. And, uh, you know, Driving Dish Podcast, Sun Solar Panel, anything. But first, Keith, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on one of your first episodes on the show, man. I'm so excited that you finally got your own podcast, man. It's much deserved and much earned. 
Thank you. I very much appreciate those kind words. And I want to thank you for coming on and providing all that in-depth knowledge on the Phoenix Suns. Again, I am Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. And if you enjoy the show, please, by all means, head to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and review so that we can get that support. It really does help the shows. If there's anything you want to see better, best way to find me, find me. Hit me up on Twitter and tell me, you know, hey, the show stinks and here's how you can improve it. I listen to all of the feedback. I want to hear it all. We want to make this the show that people are really interested in and they want to dive into and get deep on rosters. But again, this has been the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we'll talk to you next time. Plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, uh, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Hey, another way to save money, you don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, a really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying, it's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.